You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Joseph thought that he'd be out in a few days at that prison. Two years, folks. He waited on God. He knew one day that those prison doors would be open. But you know what God did over the period of two years? Between that space of chapter 40 and verse 23 and chapter 41 and verse 1, he renewed Joseph's spirit and body, which always comes to God's people as they simply wait upon the Lord. You've heard the saying, patience is a virtue, and you might even believe that to be true, as long as it's someone else having to exercise patience. There aren't a lot of people who get excited about having to be patient, especially when they're in a tough spot. You probably haven't been in a position like Joseph, but as you'll hear in Pastor Mike's teaching today, Joseph was patient, You'll hear about Joseph's reliability and the responsibilities he had in the jail, as well as his constant dependency on God. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 40, as he continues his message, Forgotten. So I think about Noah, alone on the great deep. During the year, the flood was upon the earth, okay? Now, he's completely wiped out civilization as Noah knew it at that time. The only people who continued to even live was Noah and members of his immediate family and all of those different species of animal who had entered into the ark. And now they're just sort of like bobbing around on the waters, the result of the great flood, for a period of one year. Can you imagine that? Without a word. God hasn't spoken to Noah in a year. Everyone, with the exception of a few members of his family, are cut off, are drowned beneath Noah. And for months, as I mentioned, he's just bobbing around upon the torrents of water. And he's probably thinking to himself, I'm sure that he raised this question in his own mind, Have I really been spared? God, what's going on here? You haven't even spoken to me in a year. I'm a sinner, he must have thought, which was true. Noah was as guilty as any one of those other individuals who had perished in the flood. So Noah knew that he was absolutely guilty. So he's probably entertaining the question, have I really been spared? But just then, according to the book of Genesis in chapter 8, in verse 1, We read, then God remembered 
Noah. It seemed like for that period of a year, God had abandoned Noah. Again, have you ever felt that way yourself? But God was working. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. You see that? You see, God had not forgotten Noah. All along, he is working out his plan. But listen, gang, you don't have to be many miles at sea to feel as if you've been cut off from all things. Let me give you another example of this. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. I'm thinking of the thief who was crucified alongside of Jesus. Think about the cry, the believing thief, not the one who mocked him, who was on the other side of Christ's cross, but the cry of the believing thief who was crucified alongside of Christ. That man had never felt more forgotten in any moment of his existence. Think about that. He was facing an unsure future. He didn't have any hope to live eternally. He didn't know anything about living eternally until finally he had spent that few moments with Jesus. And then he realized exactly who it was that he was being crucified alongside of. And in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, in verses 42 and 43, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. In his loneliness, in his sense of feeling abandoned, he cried out to Jesus, the Savior, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That man at that moment received the revelation of who Christ was. Up until that time, we don't have any indication whatsoever in the scriptures that he had any meeting prior with Jesus before his own crucifixion. So in that moment, he had a revelation of Jesus being a king about to enter into his eventual kingdom. And that was enough. It might have been a small exercise of faith, but nevertheless, it was enough to Jesus, for Jesus to respond and declare in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so he never forgets his children. Now, this story of Joseph being forgotten serves up some final lessons for us. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Up until this point, maybe you haven't been taking notes, but three final lessons, three final points that I want to draw to your attention. The first of which is, and this is what we need to take away from this more than anything else. Number one, don't place your trust in man because ultimately they're undependable. They're fragile. They don't have the juice. Even the closest people to you may want to help, might even go out of their way to do whatever they can to help, but ultimately, they're just as fragile as you and I. In Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 22, we read, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Now, that's an interesting statement. In other words, stop trusting in someone who can only live by taking one breath at a time. And if he misses that one breath, just to kind of give you an idea of how fragile men are, if he misses that one breath, he dies. So rather, place your trust in God, who is the eternal breath, 
from whom all our little breaths come from. I think about Paul, and he reaffirms this truth when he's at Mars Hill in the city of Athens. As he's going through the city, his mind is blown. They have all of these statues that are erected in worshiping of their false gods. They had so many gods that the Athenians worship that Paul finds himself coming upon a statue, and the inscription under this statue says, unto the unknown God. In other words, they had so many gods, they couldn't even name them. And so Paul sees that opportunity to proclaim to the Athenians who had been drawn to him at that moment, the true and the living God. And in the book of Acts in chapter 17, in verses 25 and 28, this is what he says concerning the true and the living God. And put that alongside of that verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 22, where we're exhorted and encouraged not to place our trust in man. In verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. In other words, we don't erect statues. We don't worship statues of God. It's not necessary. We don't need to do that. Since he gives to all life, notice what it says, breath and all things. And then he goes on in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being or our breath. You know, F.B. Meyer, and F.B. Meyer is a very interesting writer. And again, anything you can get your hands on that's been written by F.B. Meyer like he does these biographies, I guess, or autobiographies of the different saints, particularly of the Old Testament. He did a whole entire book on Abraham. He did an entire book on Joseph. If you can get your hand on anything that F.B. Meyer has written, it would certainly be a worthwhile addition to your libraries. But anyway, concerning Joseph and his commentary, he writes on this particular subject, we cannot live without human sympathy and friendship. We long for the touch of the human hand and the sound of the human voice. We eagerly catch at any encouragement which some frail man holds out as a drowning man catches at twigs floating by on the stream. But men fail us. Even the best prove to be less able or less willing than we thought. The stream turns out to be a very turbid one when we reach it, in spite of all of the reports of its sufficiency. And then he goes on to quote from the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 and verses 5 and 6, extremely appropriate, and he declares, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, a salt land and not inhabited. And it's so true. Gang, listen to me. Don't put your trust in man. Your first choice should always be God. And yes, I know that God at times uses men as the solution and the answer to our problems, but ultimately our help comes from God. Isn't that true? So do yourself a favor. Go right to the source of your help, and that would be God. Now, Joseph's experience taught him 
not to trust in man. Remember, man had failed him. The cupbearer had failed him, right? Man had failed him. And thus, he was delivered from the bitterness that overtakes many when they do trust others and then are disappointed. They become all angry about life. So do yourself a favor. Don't put yourself in that position. Because man ultimately will fail you. If you put your trust in man, somewhere down the road, man's going to fail you. And then the result of that is you're going to become disappointed. You're going to become disillusioned. So put your trust in God and you'll never become angry. You'll never be disappointed. Now, let me also add that it was a good thing that Joseph didn't get angry. It was a good thing that Joseph never got revengeful. You say, towards who? Well, how about his brothers who had betrayed him? That had thrown him into the pit and then ultimately carried down to Egypt by a caravan of Midianites. And uh, later on in our study, we're going to, they, they have this regathering of the brothers along with Joseph, and Joseph disguises himself, and they only know him as the prime minister of, of Egypt. It's a good thing that Joseph wasn't angry. It's a good thing that Joseph wasn't revengeful. That is, if you were one of Joseph's brothers who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery. How about Potiphar? Think about that. He was the one who threw him into prison. But how about Potiphar's wife, who lied to her husband concerning Joseph raping her? It's a good thing for both Potiphar and Potiphar's wife that Joseph wasn't angry because of his situation or revengeful. And how, how about the cupbearer? <laughs> think about that. The cupbearer was probably still around when Joseph was elevated to that position, second only to the king, that is Pharaoh, as the prime minister. It was a good thing for the cupbearer that Joseph never became angry or revengeful as well. They could have made an enemy of one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth, but it never happened. In fact, you know what Joseph's perspective was on all of this? It's Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. Let me set the stage for you. Finally, his brothers come down to Egypt to buy corn to sustain the rest of his family back home during the seven years of famine. We'll get to that in one of our previous studies. But as I mentioned before, Joseph knows that his brothers have come down to buy corn, to bring back with them home to sustain the members of the family. And so Joseph begins to mess around with these guys, to play with their heads, if you will. But finally... He reveals his true identity. I'm Joseph, your brother. Now, could you imagine? I'm Joseph, your brother. The brothers were probably thinking, wow, man, lights out for us. He's going to seek revenge upon us. He's going to throw us into prison. But never the case. And the reason why is because he just simply trusted God and didn't place his trust in man. Notice his perspective. Whereas the best of men would have become angry, disillusioned, discouraged, revengeful, disappointed. This was Joseph's perspective on everything that had taken place up until the present time. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God, recognizing that God was at work, that those things that had taken place in his life was actually orchestrated by God himself. Isn't that an amazing thing? What a wonderful thing it is to be able to know that and to see that. What rest there is in that and peace? You can just rest. 
You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to pull the hair out of your head, bang your head up against the wall. You know, you're turning to this guy, you're turning to that guy for your help, and none of those things to come, and you think, lights out, this is the end, things are never going to get any better. They just rest in the Lord, you see? So what is he saying there? He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, which was absolutely true. They sold him into slavery for a price to those Ishmaelites who were heading down to Egypt to sell their goods. But notice, but God meant it for good. You see, only God has the capacity and the ability to turn the disappointments and the darkness and the terrible things in our life and turn them around and use them for good according to his perfect plan and purposes in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see that? To bring back the food during the seven years of the famine. But not only that, as, as we'll discover in one of our future studies, uh, Joseph encouraged his brothers to go back home, get all of the members of his family, bring them back to Egypt, and Joseph would sustain them during the years of famine, all of which was a part of God's plan. Remember, this is the 12 tribes of Israel. This was ultimately Israel. God was protecting his people Israel. And this was a part of the process of making them a great nation. This was before it ever even happened, even before it ever transpired. The 12 sons represented the 12 tribes of Israel. God was at work. Do you see that? So anyway, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Listen, gang, don't put your trust in man. The second lesson that I want you to take away from this study is allow disillusionment. And unfortunately, there's going to be times when you are going to be disappointed. You are going to be disillusioned. Your hopes are going to be dashed. And it's just a part of life's experience. Allow disillusionment to turn you to the love and the faithfulness of God. And think about it. There are tons and tons of verses in the Bible encouraging us to do exactly that. I've selected just a few. Like, for example, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6. This is probably one of the more familiar ones to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Remember that. That's a great, great text of Scripture. How about this one? The 118th Psalm in verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Let's go back to F.B. Meyer for a moment. Also in his commentary, he goes on commenting on this particular point. He says, He, that is God, may leave you long without assistance. That's how you might feel. Let me say that again. He, God, may leave you long without assistance. He may allow you to toil against a tempestuous sea until the fourth watch of the night. He may seem silent and austere, tarrying two days still in the same place, as if careless of the dying Lazarus. And uh, you remember Lazarus. Lazarus had become ill. His sickness led to his death. News had come back to Jesus two days after his death, but still he hadn't shown up. Then finally, two days later, he actually comes to the very tomb where Lazarus had been placed. But it's been two days later, 
So that's what F.B. Meyer is referring to here. He may allow your prayers to accumulate like unopened letters on the table of an absent friend. But at last he will say, O man, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou will. And it's so very, very true. So allow disillusionment to turn you to the love and the faithfulness of God. Allow that to happen. Look towards heaven. Look up. Look towards God. He'll give you that answer. He'll provide for your need. The last lesson, the final lesson, and this is probably the hardest of all, is that we simply need to wait upon God. And yes, it's extremely hard because he doesn't always work according to our timetable. Isn't it true, though, we give him the whole blueprint? We say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this particular circumstance, in this particular situation, and then we draw this blueprint for him to follow. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you, but listen, this is the way I think you ought to work it out. And then we get all upset when it doesn't happen exactly the way that we've suggested that he do it. The thing is, is that God goes absolutely another way just to prove to us that he is God. That finally when the desired result happens, we'll think, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Yeah, now you got it. Now you realize exactly who I am. I'm God. I don't do things the way that man does. I am God. I'm not man. My ways are higher than man's ways. That's what the Bible declares. And so waiting upon God, yes, it's hard. And he doesn't always work according to our timetable. Is there something that you're waiting on God for right now? How many of you might be waiting on something right now? Well, you know what? Guess what? Keep on waiting, all right? You won't become discouraged. Joseph thought that he'd be out in a few days of that prison. Two years, folks. He waited on God. He knew one day that those prison doors would be open. But you know what God did over the period of two years? Between that space of chapter 40 and verse 23 and chapter 41 and verse 1, he renewed Joseph's spirit and body, which always comes to God's people as they simply wait upon the Lord. I'm going to close out our message with this last verse of Scripture. I just pray that it serves to encourage you and strengthen you and just put hope within your heart. It's Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if, listen, gang, you'll never be disappointed. Wait upon the Lord. He'll renew you in your spirit and your body. It always comes to those who wait upon the Lord. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.